Mark 4, 21 through 34, God speaks to us in his word. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Hannah. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Ben. Um, we have, we're an elder-led church, so we have multiple pastors, and I get to serve as one of them. My role here is a uh, is lead pastor of this church, and so really glad that you guys are here. Um, if you haven't been with us and you're kind of unfamiliar with how we do things, we preach through the Bible, um, which that's, that's probably not a shocker. Pastors should preach through the Bible, uh, but currently we're in the book of Mark. And I don't want to uh, assume that everybody in this room is familiar with the Bible, so let me just give you some layman's terms real quick. I'm, I actually, layman's terms are most helpful for me, and so that's why I try to give them a lot. I'm a pretty simple-minded dude, so let me just give you some layman's terms. So Mark is one of four Gospels, and that word gospel uh, translates a couple different ways, but it means good news or the truth. And the gospel is the, um, is the work, it's the, the life of God uh, as man, Jesus, and Jesus' life um, his death, and then his burial, and then his resurrection, the story of that is the gospel. And there are four primary accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, and then there's John. Mark is the shortest of those four accounts, but it's so fast-paced. It's like really short compared to the other ones, but man, Mark moves at the speed of light, and so we've been in this book, Mark, and we're not even halfway through with it just yet. I mean, we're in chapter four right now, 16 chapters. We're in chapter four. And every single thing you read makes you pause and question, okay, what in the world is going on? So what you just heard, you might be thinking like, wait a minute, hold on. Can you stop after every line and let me just hear what Jesus said? Because it really is moving fast. The story now takes us to this place where Jesus has... He had been baptized. He started to do his earthly ministry work, which took till he was 30 years old. So Jesus actually lived to 30 before he started to do earthly ministry. And then in Mark, all of a sudden, it just 
he starts to heal people. People start to hear about it. Church leaders start to hate his guts. His family doesn't know what to do with him. He's got disciples around, and they act like a bunch of idiots half the time, which sounds familiar to me, at least personally. I'm like, man, I can identify with being a disciple of Jesus and also being an idiot. Um, So (laughs) Jesus is healing people. Crowds are coming around him, and so much so that they almost trample over him. Jesus has to retreat, and then as he's retreating, this is one sentence after another these things are happening. As he was retreating, he goes up on the mountain, he appoints the 12, his disciples, comes down from the mountain, comes back into his hometown. In his hometown, people are trampling over him. His family, his brothers and his sisters, his mom, they all say, because they see all this happening, and imagine Mary, his mom, freaking out at this point, like they're about to run him over, and they all say he is a lunatic. They literally say he's gone mad. Jesus has gone mad. In the same breath, you have church leaders who come up and say, Jesus works for the devil. They literally say he can cast out demons by the power of the devil. So you got family says he's crazy. Church leaders say he's the devil. The crowd are just consumers. They just want him to give them whatever they think he's got to offer, which is a whole nother sermon, but everybody today can fit in one of those categories. That's why we're here. And in the meantime, Jesus is trying to see, the Holy Spirit's using Mark via Peter to get us to see something that Jesus wanted. It was his most primary concern on earth to see this one truth. He is in fact God. Jesus is Lord. At this point, his family, church leaders, and the crowd, the only thing, the only entity that has confessed Jesus as Lord are the demons. So it's crazy, man. It's fast-paced. And now Jesus, which at this point, dude, anyone, you, and you might not admit it today, but let me just admit it for you on your behalf. If any one of those three things that happened, If my family called me crazy or church leaders came up and called me the devil and then the crowd was trying to trample over me because they were consumers, I would just be like, you know what, let's just flood the whole thing again. We're going to start over. We don't even need an ark this time. Let's just flood it. It's a done deal. These people are so ungrateful. Here I am left perfect communion with the the Father and the Spirit. I came down here to be among y'all. You don't even give me bread. You call me crazy, the devil, which I came to free you from, and you're ungrateful, you're consumers. We'll just start over, man. I'm telling you right now, man, you do not want me to be God. We wouldn't even be here. It'd be done deal. I wouldn't even take all that for me to just like wake up on the bad, wrong side of the bed one day, and it's like, let's start over, man. I don't even have it. Jesus is incredibly patient. And it's a little tongue-in-cheek what I'm saying, but there is a reality to in this room. Like, we don't like to admit Jesus as Lord. We like to say it, but when it comes to believing it and acting on it, it's a whole other thing. We like Jesus to be the way that we think he should be. And the whole time, he's trying to get them to see, I am God. 
So in his patience, in his kindness, he doesn't flood the earth. He doesn't call down fire from heaven. He doesn't summon legions of angels. In his patience, he starts to communicate to them and explain to them who he is and what the kingdom of God is like. And he uses parables to do that. This is the greatest communicator of all time, Jesus, wanting so badly for people to get this. So that's what parables are. They're not just sermon illustrations. They're actually God in his grace and his goodness giving us something that's so serious. He's telling us this is a matter of life and death for you, that you understand the parable of the lamp, the parable of the seed, the parable of the mustard seed. It's life and death. So that's what I'm inviting you into today. We're about to hear the word of life. Open up your ears. Jesus several times gives us fair warning and a charge to listen. It's important what you're about to hear. Four, chapter, four verse three, listen, exclamation mark, he says. He shouts it in chapter, I mean, in verse nine, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is all in the same chapter. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Verse 23, again, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. Verse 33, same chapter. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. If anybody has ears, let him hear. So that's the thing. Today, open up your ears, man. Open up your ears. Hear the word of God. Let it shape your thought. Let it shape reality to you. Understanding the kingdom of God is first accepting Jesus as Lord. Accepting Jesus as Lord requires humble ears and hearing. So three parables, let's jump into them. I'm gonna spend most of my time on the first parable today. I would love to invite you to follow along in Mark chapter four. We're gonna be moving around the Bible a little bit. We'll have the words on the screen uh, so that you can follow along. This is the parable of the lamp. The parable of the lamp. The first thing that you gotta see, just direct, straightforward, Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the lamp. And he said to them in verse 21, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Is a lamp brought in to just be covered up, to not be turned on? No, you bring a lamp into the house to provide light in darkness. Now it's fairly easy for everybody here today and even everybody outside of here today to agree on one major thing. We would all agree the world is dark. It's a dark place. It's evil, it's broken like beyond measure. There's all kinds of darkness all around the world. And the other thing that we would agree on is that darkness needs a light. If you bring a lamp into a room, turn on the lamp, darkness dispels, light fills up the room. I love this parable because I, to put it simply, I love lamps. <laughs> I'm not trying to quote a movie. I literally do love lamps. 
Anytime, I mean, in our first service, I was talking about this, our kids director is down here, Ivy, and she's just cracking up because she knows that every single Sunday I walk downstairs, if there's no lamps on, I just go and turn them on. I do this in my house. I don't even have, I don't even know if I have the capability of having lighting in my ceiling in my living room. I don't need it. Never thought about it. I just turn on lamps. I love it. The more, the merrier. Anybody that works around here knows that. I love lamps. Lamps do something profound. They dispel darkness. And to tell the whole world would be for them to agree and for you to agree as well. Yeah, the world is dark. We need light in the world. But when we start to talk about what light actually is and what light actually works, then it's time to get into an argument with everyone. Everybody's got a different definition of light. Everybody's got a different definition of love. Everybody's got a different definition of acceptance, of justice. How do we settle on the same thing? We end up just chasing our tails. You ever notice that? This is a moving target. What the world needs as light and darkness is just a moving target. It always changes. Every year there's some new gimmick or some new thing or some thing that we missed last year. Somehow we become more intolerant about the things that we were intolerant about or the things that we were tolerant about, we become less tolerant about. And it's like, where's true light? Surely there's true light somewhere that actually dispels darkness. The Greek definitive article is used here if you, we have original language for the Bible. What this actually says is not a lamp, it's the lamp. Is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Jesus is telling us something. He's telling us that I am the lamp. I am the light, Jesus said. Ultimate meaning, ultimate beauty, ultimate light, ultimate justice and love, ultimate reality is found in Jesus alone. You cannot chase your tail and get it somewhere else. We try our best to take silly stabs at light. We try our best to take silly stabs at love, but it never truly works and never truly lasts. Without Jesus, we keep chasing our tails, learning about how the world works. We become students, but we forget the main thing, man, and it's this. Without Jesus, we don't know God. And without God, you don't know who you are, and everybody else doesn't know who they are. Knowing God is the source of all truth and reality, and it's light on a dark mind. That verse be transformed by the renewal of your mind is like so important, but we skip over it. That's what the Bible says. It, you're not transformed by the renewal of your budget. You're not transformed by the renewal of your take your pick, fill in the bank. It's your mind. It's the dark place, what happens in our thoughts, men. John 1.9 says it this way, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is the lamp. The second thing is this. The light illuminates and it reveals. It illuminates, but also reveals. Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. I'm gonna say this again just so that we get it. It says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Hiddenness will be exposed. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. This is a really satisfying and also terrifying passage of the Bible. The reason it's satisfying is this. We talk about the darkness of the world. And when we talk about all the dark oppression in the world, all the people who oppress, all of the systems that oppress, when I think about things like as dark and evil as sex trafficking, I think about things as dark and evil as domestic abuse, any sort of abuse at all. When I think about things as like just dark and evil that governments, politicians do, I love this verse. (laughs) Yes, sir. Totally in. Bring it to light, man. Walk into those dark rooms, flip the light switch on, expose everybody, let's start over right away. When I think about darkness outside of myself, I am satisfied with this verse. But I usually stop there. And it becomes terrifying when I think about the darkness inside myself, which is evil and dark. When I think about men, all those secrets come to light, all the darkness comes to light, I'm exposed, then it's terrifying. Jesus is light and darkness, holds up the truth, holds up love, holds up justice, but also for me and you, not just out there somewhere. He shines and reveals. Not just in our oppressors or abusers or evil people acting on victims. He reveals darkness in us. Subtle darkness and overt darkness. Our pride and our ego, the darkness of our self-absorption, the darkness of our comfort addiction, our bullheadedness, our stiff-neckedness, our fear of being found out, He reveals it, man. Not easy. Also, the light, the true light, doesn't just reveal darkness in us. He reveals himself. What is God like? I mean, that's a question that a lot of people ask. What is God like? What is he truly like? How does he feel about me? How does he feel about the darkness in the world? How does he... And the answer is simple, it's, but it's not easy. Not only is God like Jesus, but God actually is Jesus. And Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it reveals ourselves, but at the same time, man, this is the best news. It also reveals his heart. If God himself 
knows all of that stuff about you, all of the darkness in your heart, and still reveals that he loves you like nobody's business, man. It's a revelation of the Father's heart for us. That's true light. Our heart is, according to Jeremiah, according to the book that God wrote, your heart is wicked and deceitful above all. Who can know it? He answers his own question. He knows it. He knows your heart. It's a revelation of God's heart towards us. He sees all our darkness and has chosen to come and chosen to shine ultimate light into our darkness, and the ultimate light is Jesus. John 3. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus is the lamp. The lamp reveals our darkness and reveals his heart at the same time. And the third thing is this. Hold on to the light that you have. Hold on to it. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here's what it's saying. You have the light. You have the truth. Even if you feel like you've walked in with a dimly burning wick today, which a lot of you do, man, I do. I walked in, I walked up on this stage today. Now the second time I've walked up here today and I feel like I have a dimly burning wick. I'm like, I'm holding on to Jesus. I want him to hold on to me. Maybe that's what you feel today. I guarantee you, so many of you, whether you admit it or not, walked in feeling like, man, I used to have a flame for God, man. I used to have this like burning desire and zeal to walk and follow Jesus. And I walked in here today, I crawled in here, and now it's like down to this little thing. Jesus says to us, even what you have, more will be added to it. He does not distinguish a dimly burning wick. It is by God's grace Listen to me, God's grace and his power and his influence and his sovereignty over your life that you even walked in the door here today. All the dimly burning wicks, all the bruised reeds, he's not gonna put out, he's not gonna step on. What you have, more will be added. But those that don't have anything, even less, it'll be taken away. This reminds me of the time that Jesus said, what does it profit a man that he gains the whole world but loses his soul? In an effort to self-actualize, in an effort to like become your own dynasty, become your own kingdom, people away from Jesus will just build and build and build and stack and stack and stack and they'll accrue all kinds of stuff to fill this fear in their heart about what happens when they die. What does it profit a man that he gains the whole world but loses his soul? The dimly burning wicks, you may not have nothing, man, but to have the light of the world, Jesus holds that 
preserves it, will give more. But you can have all kinds of stuff and not have any of that light. And what you have, even if it's nothing, it will be taken away. James 1, 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It's the parable of the lamp. Second parable is the parable of the seed. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seeds sprout and, give grow, and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. In the first parable, we rightly see the warning, which is this. Jesus is the light. You're not. No one else is. We need Jesus. The warning for us is this, is like, let's present ourselves. Let's hold on to the seed of the word of God that's been planted in us. And now the warning becomes a promise. The promise is this. The seed is planted. Guess who waters the seed? God waters the seed. To the farmer in this moment in time when Jesus is preaching to a bunch of farmers on the outskirts of town, that implanted seed is watered by God. He will not, again, he will not extinguish a dimly burning wig. This fragile seed, the word made flesh, Jesus, this light of the world, the whole field of the kingdom of God is watered and grown by the power of God. That light is a seed that by its true nature can sprout and multiply, and God brings the water. How do you know Jesus? How do you follow Jesus? Did you someday decide to do that? Is it your decision based on the mood that you're in or the feeling that you have depending on the day that you wake up and follow Jesus that day? Is there something in your life maybe that convinced you at some point to just be like, man, I've got all these different choices and I think this is like following Jesus is probably the best choice for my budget. It's the best choice for my future. It's the best career choice. Well, that didn't make a lot of sense because following Jesus says you have to deny yourself. You have to die. Do you wake up on certain days and it's to, man, you had a great night's sleep. You feel so rested, like it's unbelievable how rested you are. It's unbelievable how great life is all the time. Every kid we have, every single one of our children, they act perfectly all the time. Amazing. We are incredible parents. Do you just wake up and feel that way? No. You need Jesus to even follow Jesus. You can't even know God without God putting knowledge within you and pulling you along to follow him. And if you have joy today, if you have love today or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or any gentleness or faithfulness, if you have faithfulness Today, if you have self-control today, guess who produced that in you? 
God the Holy Spirit. You can't follow Jesus without Jesus. You cannot water the seed. God comes to water the seed. And here's our prayer before God is this. God, I, it's dim. In my life today, it's dim. The wick is dim. I feel like a bruised reed, but you said you won't extinguish me. You won't step on a bruised reed. So I'm just presenting myself to you today. Say, Lord, I don't even have it in me to love you today. Please come and put love in me for you. It sounds crazy because we're such consumers. And we're such like, pick yourselves up by the bootstraps people, man. I actually like that. I'm totally fall into that category. But it trips me up when it comes to following Jesus because all I ever do is chase my own tail as to why I'm not a good enough Christian and then I never go to God to say, hey, make me a good enough Christian. Seed is planted, God waters the seed. Jesus is the wellspring of life. We need him. Do you feel depressed about your faith today? Come to Jesus. Fill me up, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Help me follow you. I want to want you. I desire to desire you, Lord. I don't have it in me. Change my desires. Isaiah 55, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. That's good news. Final parable is the parable of the mustard seed. This is specific now. This isn't just any seed. So if the hearer or maybe you today or any of the farmers that Jesus were talking about were saying, well, there's some seeds that are pretty capable. Jesus goes, digs deeper, and he talks about the smallest seed in the garden. He says this, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak anything to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained Everything. It is a mustard seed. The smallest. Your faith probably feels small today. Or even the smallest seed, when watered by God, grows into this amazing roots go deep. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it he meditates both day and night. He is like a tree planted by water. Roots grow deep, bears fruit in due season. That is the seed. This tiny seed, fragile and small, grows to be the largest plant. It gives shade to all the other seeds. It's not the complaining seed. It's not the plant that like 
grows out of some disunifying, discord-like, complaining consumer thing. It's the seed of faith. And it gives shade to all the other seeds that are trying to grow. And it provides a place for all the life around it to come and receive rest. That sounds like godliness. The kingdom of God advancing at first glance feels like a war cry, man. Yeah, we're going to advance the kingdom of God, but it's not. It's long, it's sustained, disciplined by a gardener who tends to the ground and waters it to bear fruit. God is committed to you, way more than you're committed to him. And any commitment you have to God, believe me, is because he ultimately is committed to you. He holds the rain. He's the wellspring of life. Jesus is our sustenance in the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus himself waters the seed. He also is the seed. In the quiet of night, the Son of God was born to two peasants in a rural town. He lived 30 years in anonymity to all but his small community. He spent three years preaching and healing in a geographically and politically insignificant place. He was publicly humiliated. He was tortured and executed. Upon his physical resurrection, his small band of disciples were deeply transformed. And read all of Mark and see how ridiculous they acted until the resurrection of Jesus. His tiny church, through persecution, spread from Judea to Samaria and eventually to the end of the earth. And after 2,000 years, his church is still mostly laughable by the world's standards of wealth, power, influence, and relevance. But somewhere around 2 billion people on this planet follow Jesus. Church is growing in Iran, in China, in India, all over the world. The seed God planted was himself. <laughs> and he brings water, and Jesus is the ultimate fruit. We're about to take the table together. It is likely today that there are multiple people in the room that feel like they want to walk away from their faith. They feel faithless. It's not by some random coincidence that you're here today for this. If you need faith today, you need God the Holy Spirit. Come to him. The only requirement, I love this, that Jesus says the only requirement for you to come to Jesus today is that you be weary and heavy laden. That's it. So all my weary people, come to Jesus. Anybody heavy laden in the room, come to Jesus. Here's why. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Take my yoke upon you, he says. Any weariness, any heavy laden, anybody that just doesn't have the strength to believe, come to Jesus.